This show was first broadcast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM, thanks to New Zealand On Air. Kia ora tātou katoa, ko Alvisa taku ingoa, ko Brittany taku ingoa. Our mission here at the Talking Taiao podcast is to inspire and support people, businesses and communities to value the environment and act to prioritise sustainability. We would like to highlight our region's efforts in acting as guardians of the land, Taranaki Tiaki Taiao, while weaving te reo Māori and Mātauranga within our conversations to help our wider community learn through a positive, educational and uplifting lens. Listeners and welcome again to Talking Taiao. Shout out to the team at Access Radio Taranaki for their awesome mahi and supporting our podcast. Um, I'm excited to introduce a good friend and fellow marine conservation educator for this corridor. Her name is Nicole Sturgis. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting with me, Nicole. Thank you, Visa. So uh, just to start off with, let's give some context to our listeners. If you could just share with us your journey from the very beginning of your marine science um, yeah, studies and um, maybe where you came from and how that inspired your journey. Cool. So um, I'm born and bred here in Taranaki. I'm from Orokura originally. My journey in marine science started in the rock pools. That was my original classroom, even before going to um, school. There I learned so much about the marine life there and the different habitats and to me it was just a different world, it was just a, a place I liked to escape to and I loved learning about the marine life through those rock pools. Um, it was a playground and a classroom and it really attracted me to science and then marine science later on in life. Um, that and my ongoing obsession with dolphins. <laughs> um, so I. After high school, I, I actually ended up going to Tauranga to study at Toi Oho Mai Polytechnic. I'm a very practical person, and I decided that if I was going to do marine science, I actually had to start in the sea, not in a classroom. Um, so I, I started there, and I did the marine studies course, which I totally recommend to any um, science enthusiast or marine science enthusiasts. Uh, you start with a year worth of diving, which is just incredible. Um, followed by um, some more practical learning and also some in-class theory in your second year. It ties in with Waikato University, and so I finished with my degree through them and on to my master's afterwards, um, studying here in Taranaki in Paranunahi Marine Reserve. So that kind of was my journey in marine education and learning about the marine environment. And honestly, I, I would went through so many subjects through university, just learning about so many elements of the ocean. It was very hard to decide where I wanted to land and what I wanted to put my focus in, even though I did masters. Um, I actually went into dock first, uh, which was really cool, work down in Westport. And that was quite a cool year for me. Um, I was involved in writing the um, Marine Reserve operational plan for the five West Coast Marine Reserves learning a lot about working with community, iwi and hapu, um, as well as that local marine environment. And following that, I decided to go into aquaculture and did four years in aquaculture, 
which was interesting and pretty cool. <laughs> Hard, highs and lows, mm -hmm. um, but also really rewarding. Um, working at the Hokoprom Park as their biologist and a few years of that made me realise that I, I belonged in conservation and brought me back home to Taranaki and I've been here ever since, I think since 2019. Cool. That's such a, like... So you're only 29, 30? 29. 29, yeah. So before you're 30, you've done all that. Um, and that's pretty inspiring work because you've been able to, you know, dip your toes in conservation, like really scientific policy level conservation stuff and aquaculture. And now you're in conservation education and you can use all that experience and, and what you're teaching others too, mm. which is really cool. Um and that also, by sharing your your journey, um, hopefully inspires people who have been thinking about, you know, um, studying marine science or, or marine biology. Kind of gives them a bit of a scope on what they could potentially look into as well. Like you don't have to pick one particular topic um, from the very beginning. It's really important to just be open-minded and, and realise that you might have a few zigzag turns oh, along definitely. the way. Yeah, and the zigzags are really good because they all feed into, you know, same yeah. place. All <laughs> learning. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so what are some highlights from, from that journey? Like anything that stand, any um, stories that kind of stand out? Yeah, um, I, I actually, I love my time down in Westport working for Doc. Um, I, I think a highlight for me was just the amount of travel that I did through that job. I was um, I was based up in Westport, but I was driving all the way down to Haast um, and visiting the, the different um, uh, townships and dock offices to learn about the local marine reserve, so that I could write about it and create um, compliance strategies and and tie it into our operational plan. Um, but a really cool highlight of that year was actually doing seal tagging, <laughs> which was intense. But um, I got to camp up near the Heafy River for a whole week, and it was just incredible, just being right on the coast um, day after day and going to you know sleep there too was just really cool. And picking up, you are chasing after seals and picking up seals was really <laughs> fun, even though they stink, it was really fun. Mm. Um, and it just taught me a little bit more about myself and what I was capable of doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and all the health and safety that's involved in dealing <laughs> with wildlife because yeah. they are wild life like yeah. <laughs> seals are scary guys like don't, don't just go around picking up seals like these are trained uh trained experts <laughs> who go through a lot of ethics and um physical training um to do with these sorts of tagging miss you we do the same things with um penguins as well nicole and i knowing having having that um ethical and um well-trained background really helps you keep safe not just the animal safe but yourself safe Mm. Um, cool. Um, anything else that any other sort of highlights? Or? Yeah, another highlight for me was definitely my time at the Hooker Prawn Park. Um, when I started there, they had a set idea of what the biologists would do and um, and how I'd fit into their business. And it was really just about culturing prawns um, in the cheapest way possible, um, not necessarily the most sustainable way possible. And so, me coming from my background of conservation and my interest in the, um, the environment, I started to weave in sustainability and I, I managed to convince my boss to take me to Thailand, <laughs> <laughs> to Bangkok, Bonus. and it was incredible. Three, no, five days in Bangkok was just so cool, going to different um, 
cluster farms and learning about how they culture prawns in a very family, small-scale way. And um, I brought back so many ideas. And we were able to um, you know, bring, feed some into our um, production system, which was really cool. So just for our listeners, that just really highlights, I didn't know that part of your story, um, so I'm learning as we go. Um, if there's any business owners out there thinking about like saving money um, and trying to do things the cheapest way possible, that's just another example of um, how investing in sustainable uh, practices does actually pay off and also getting the right people in those roles people who bring um, uh, a different type of lens, a more sustainable lens into businesses um, can really pay off in the long run because because you're thinking about sustainability, you're thinking of lots of different ways that the business can be impacted. Um, and also public perception. Um, now that listeners know that Hooker Prawn Park has invested in the sustainability of their business and the ethics and the people, that they've hired, um, hopefully that will, you know, that's a good look for them. Mm-hmm. So sustainability and conservation can tie into business um, really well and, and really pay off in the long run. So um, on that note, um, shall we have a song? Do you have something in mind? Yes, um, I'm going to recommend High Tide, Low Tide by Ben Harper. Yes, and- High seas over low seas I'm gonna be your friend You know that I'm gonna be your friend Hey listen In high tide over low tide I'll be by your side You know that I'll be by your well, I heard a praying, praying, praying. Mm-hmm. Said I heard my mother. Well, I heard a praying, praying, praying. And I, the words that she said. That she said, they still linger in my head. She said, A child is born into this world, he needs protection. God, God, and protect us when we're wrong. Stand by me in these high seas or low seas I'm gonna be your friend You know that I'm gonna be your friend Hey listen, in high tide or low tide I'll be by your side You know that I'm
part um, of this corridor, um, we're going to talk a bit more about the education side of things and connection. Um, so what do you think, um, or why do you think education is so important in the protection of our natural environment, Nicole? Education is so important because you can't actually protect what, you're, what you don't know or what you don't understand. Um, so by sharing with the wider community, with others about um, the environment and what I know as a scientist um, I'm able to actually create new pathways in the minds of others and um, inspire them or encourage them to you know, think of um, a wider or bigger picture which is the environment and how they can actually have an influence in it um, and their own impact um, so yeah that's yeah no that's so true you can't protect and also for some people like um, people are afraid of things that they don't understand yeah. as well. That's so right. like in countries like um, Simon Pierce, the whale scientist, hopefully we can get him on the podcast sometime because um, he's from Inglewood, just around the corner. Um, he was sharing in a talk about how they went over to a part of um, south, the southern coast of Africa and um, there were communities out there who relied on fishing and that sort of level of connection with the ocean, but they were so petrified of it because nobody knew how to swim. Nobody knew what lived under the water other than, you know, the things that kind of kill them or that that provide them with sustenance. So they taught them about marine conservation and they started a swimming program cool. with the coastal communities. And so suddenly these these communities are empowered with this connection that they know how to navigate it a lot better and they have confidence and mm. um, appreciation mm. for the ocean because they're not so scared of it. Mm. Um, so in terms of education um, as well, what 
do you think the barriers are? I know some of the barriers, but for our listeners, what are the barriers that us educators come up against in this journey? Um, there's, there's quite a few barriers. I think the, the biggest barrier that we all face is um, funding. Um, in, in education, especially environmental education, um, there's, there's limited funding available and there's so many ideas out there and we're quite often competing with one another for that funding too. Um, and so we can only really do as much as you know, our, the funding allows us and that can be quite... Um, Quite challenging sometimes and also a, a little disappointing <laughs> um, but it's that this that's one of the big barriers and another one is actually um, it's actually working with community community is incredible and it's so vital and um, in you know looking after our environment and ensuring that our like our these projects and these ideas actually continue in a, mm. in a sustainable way. But um, building those relationships and relying on volunteers through community um, is also another big barrier, actually, in education. Um, yeah, they're probably the two main barriers. That and time. Yeah, <laughs> it oh actually gosh. takes a lot of time. For, yeah. for all the planning of any event, it's hours of work, Um and it's well worth it once you get to the other end of you know, delivering the event. But yeah, there's time it takes. It takes so much time. Because mm-hmm. it's not just like putting the event together, but it's making those connections, building and maintaining those relationships yeah. with schools. Like I today I saw kids that I judged um, as, as a regional councillor. I got invited to judge a, like, a business, um, it's young enterprise scheme. And uh, there are a few kids in, in some of the schools that I was working with over the last couple of days who I recognise from, like, finding Little Blue and experiencing marine reserves. And they recognised me, and that was oh, really cool. cool. But the sad thing is that I've missed, like, two or three years of their life yeah. because, you know, I exposed them to this really exciting part of education and the curriculum and a potential way of learning. Um, and then they had to drop it because we had no more funding to continue those programs mm-hmm. and with, with those particular schools. So if those programs were sustainably funded on an ongoing sort of way, because um, teachers can only soak up so much information and, and teach, we do need experts in, in our schools who can, who can continue that kind of education with our students um, so that there's more demand for funding and more um, demand for investing in that kind of education and the outcomes that come from that education, yeah. such as, you know, zero waste project. We put so much, so much um, funding into these zero waste initiatives, and yet there's a whole generation coming through who are growing up in a world where recycling is really big and composting is really big, but there's no ongoing funding for that kind of education, especially for adults, for instance. So that matrix of funding is insufficient, it's inefficient, mm. um, and we have experts out here begging for money and competing against one another when we should be working together and being fairly distributed with, fu- with funding. Um, and I think that's one of the barriers as well, um, because, like, you know, when, when you first came on as uh, an experiencing Marine Reserves um, coordinator, um, you know, there was a part of me that was like, 
there's only so much funding, you know, but because I got elected with regional council and we worked really hard to get more funding for the program um, and I knew that you were a recognisable name in the local community, it only made sense to um, share the load so that we could um, reach more people. Mm. So more experts in that, in that area, the more people you're going to reach. So I really appreciate you being my team member in that space. Um, so as a sort of um, sign-off, I guess, I know this is kind of a, a, a shorter discussion, but we've kind of covered a lot of what we face and, and our shared journey in, in this marine education space. Um, what sort of last um, kind of message or um, points of thought do you want to leave our listeners I think it comes back down to connection for me. If you've got an interest in the ocean, it doesn't matter what age you are, um, if you share an interest and you want to learn more about the ocean, the best way to learn about it is through connection, whether it be on your paddleboard or swimming or snorkeling or surfing. The more you get out there, the more you actually see marine life. And um, just by witnessing it with your own eyes, you you just learn to love it, you get excited. Once you're excited, you're inspired, and then you start off from there, you, you start the journey of learning. Um, and yeah, you can have your own impact in your own little world. <laughs> nice, beautiful. Um, thanks for being an awesome teammate, Nicole. I really appreciate you um, in our region, our whole region. Um, I know that the community appreciates you, and I know that over the last couple of years since you've been back, uh, in Taranaki, um, people have really noticed the passion that you have for the marine environment through um, projects like... Um, oh, do you want to share some of the projects that you've worked on? Oh, yes, that's a good idea. Yeah, na <laughs> name drop for Facebook followers. <laughs> like and follow on Facebook. <laughs> um, so, so since I've been back here, I've, I've started my own coastal monitoring project, Sea Change Surveys, which is on Facebook, and was funded two years in a row by Curious Minds. Thank you, Richard Taranaki. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, as Alvisa said, an a, a coordinator for Experiencing Marine Reserves. It's such an amazing project, and um, we're very lucky to have it funded, you know, multiple times by DOC and also by our local um, Toi Ohumai Foundation. Um, I'm also part of Finding Little Blue, which Alvisa also coordinates, um, and I contracted Chatty's Charters to and run my own eco-tours on marine plastics and sustainable fisheries. So any school teachers or principals that are listening, um, yeah, I'm quite a good person to <laughs> approach, to invite to your school. I, I love actually coming to schools and talking with kids and also getting them out into the environment so they can, they can connect um, themselves with the ocean. Perfect. And um, last of all, as a sign-off, we just want to make a big shout-out to the Namwatu Marine Reserve Society who yes. have worked really hard and um, constantly look for funding and opportunities to pay us educators to continue this mahi. Um, so shout-out to them um, and to all our funders who, who continue to support our mahi. Yes, big thank you. <laughs> Kia ora, kakite. This show is created and made possible by Sustainable Taranaki. Sustainable Taranaki is a charitable trust that was started in 1992 in Inglewood by a group of progressive environmentalists. It now has grown and expanded its reach but keeps the same vision of prioritizing our environment and educating the community.
This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.